Gateway, good day to you. So glad to be here with you. Happy New Year. Uh, you know, when we started the Advent series, we were reminded that the new year had started then <laughs> in terms of the Christian calendar. But how we actually live our lives, uh, this is the new year. And I know so many have thought, well, gosh, I hope that 2021 is different. And somehow that when we turn the calendar, when, they, when that date changes, the, the clock strikes midnight, that something magical and mystical will take place. The reality is, is we're here and something magical and mystical has not taken place. But the beauty, the beauty of being a follower of Jesus in this time is that God is present to us in his spirit. And that is what we are attending to in these weeks as we look at the spirit being greater than the flesh. And so I'm just going to pray and we're going to dive into our our teaching here today. So join me in in a posture of prayer if you would. Well, Holy Father, we come to you with full access in the Son. Jesus, we thank you that you make a way when we don't see one forward. And Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would come. I ask that you would speak through my mouth, that you would think with my mind, that you would stand in my body, and that we, your church, would be encouraged, that we would be built up, and that the character of you, Jesus, would be formed in us. And it's in your name that we bring all these things, all these things to you. Amen. So I recently read this article, uh, Kyle, called Taking in the Good. It's by Dr. Rick Hansen. In this, in this article, uh, Dr. Hansen says that the brain is like Velcro for negative experiences, but Teflon for positive ones. And of course, there's you know a constellation of other thoughts around this, but that statement came and I was like, come on, Rick, like, that's kind of intense. And I thought about it. And if your experiences are anything like mine, this is kind of true. Just think about it. Go this little thought experiment with me. Uh, your inbox. Now, um, let's say your inbox was empty before the holidays and now you've come back. Unless you're one of those people who doesn't clear your inbox, I don't know how you... It's an enigma. I don't know. Anyways, my inbox, clear. Come back from the holidays and you come back in and just for the sake of this illustration, let's say there's only 10 emails. You're like, okay. So you're reading through and nine delightful emails and then one email comes through. It's, It's neutral to passive aggressive. Which email do you remember? Yeah, there's no question, is there? You know which email you remember. It's that pesky, passive-aggressive email. And I think that's what Dr. Hansen is getting at, is it's this, there's like that negative email comes and it just sticks. But somehow those, those nine other ones, although greater in number, don't seem to be weighty enough to stick around. And I think that the same thing is true with people. You know, like think about the cruelty of a bully, how that just imprint, like I I remember being in the 10th grade wearing a tank top and a bunch of people like screaming obscenities at me at school, like out on the quad, like what in the world is going on here? Like that is imprinted on my mind. I couldn't tell you other things that happened that day, but I remember that. 
Or, or think about like a, a harsh comment that comes through on social media, how that imprints on your soul at a disproportionate level. Why is that? Well, Dr. Hansen would, would come through again and he would say it's, it's because our brains, along with research and scientists, he would say that um, our brains have a negativity bias. And there's some science going around that says uh, three seconds is, is all, all it takes for a negative moment to be imprinted on our brain, whereas it takes 14 seconds for a positive one, for a positive moment to imprint on our brain. Now, I myself find these to be pretty compelling perspectives, but I really only believe that they are part of the equation because according to the wisdom of the Bible, which is the true authority in the way of Jesus, there's more at work than just neurons firing. We are more than just our flesh and blood. And this is what the Apostle Paul, he, he hints at this. In fact, he doesn't just hint at it. He, he speaks directly to it. He calls it the works of the flesh and the work of the spirit, that there's more at work in the world than just our flesh and blood. And last week, we, we dove into this. We started this new series called Spirit is Greater Than the Flesh, a space for us to imagine and explore how the character of Christ might be formed in us personally and more specifically, communally. And so this week, we just submit this question to one another. What does it look like to be a community formed by kindness? So let's just review the contrasting realities of the, of the flesh and the spirit, if you can't recall. This is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. And the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Paul goes on to warn uh, that those who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you recall from last week, uh, this little notion here is about what will live on into God's eternal reign, that is the kingdom of God. So Jesus is going to come back to judge the living and the dead. God's justice will pour out. But those things, those things will not abide in the day of judgment. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and against such things there is no law. So on the one hand, you have these elements that are destructive to community formation, that is the works of the flesh, and on the other hand, you have elements that bring life and restoration for communities in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Spirit. And it's important to remember that neither list is exhaustive, nor do they have this like one-to-one correspondence or um, maybe like a one-to-two correspondence. It's just, that's not how these vice and virtues work in the New Testament. It's not as though like you're feeling a bit of rage coming on and then you go, okay, wait, no, wait, I gotta, I gotta turn the love up or I gotta turn the patience up or anything. It's just, that's not how this works. It's not a formula like that. But that said, they are contrasting realities. There is a difference between the two, categorically. And so as we consider what it looks like to be a community formed by kindness, I believe it would serve us well just to examine that contrast here for a moment. And as I did this, as I was kind of studying kindness, I came across one of the Proverbs of Solomon. 
It says this in Proverbs eleven seventeen: a man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. And here in the biblical imagination, kindness stands in contrast to cruelty. And when the Bible talks about cruelty, it's, it's talking really about the lack of mercy. Now, if grace is getting what we don't deserve, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Let me say that again. Grace is getting what we do not deserve, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Cruelty, therefore, is pouring out what you do deserve. And there's a harshness to it. If we think about the vices that Paul lists in the works of the flesh, just just hear these once more. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, or like divisiveness, factions. All of these kind of smack of cruelty. They have this harsh undertone and spirit about them. And for whatever reason, when I read that proverb in Proverbs eleven seventeen, it felt honest. Like it felt honest to encounter kindness and cruelty all the way back in Proverbs. It's as though this clarity existed in that moment that we lack today. You know, there's this song, You Have to Be Cruel to Be Kind, which apparently is a song about tough love. Why? Why? Why do you have to be cruel to be kind? So when our world thinks about followers of Jesus, I wonder if that's what they think. Now, I don't know, but what we do know is that the, the two words that come to the fore when people think about Christians in the world today, it's irrelevant and extreme. I'm not just making this up. This comes from David Kinnaman's book, Good Faith, and this, he's a part of Barna Research Group, so this is backed by statistics. Um, and, and in this book, Good Faith, he unpacks how everyday happenings like politics and marriage and sexuality and laundry list of other contentious issues that fill our lives, um, those make it harder than ever to affirm our convictions with kindness. And so it's either our convictions or kindness, and the convictions are the things that are going to stand. And it, it really becomes this moment where um, it's like disagreement turns into defensiveness, and defensiveness turns into aggression, and then aggression eventually devolves into cruelty. There's this progression downward into that, all to hold tightly to a supposed conviction. And I really believe that there is the position that we hold, and then there's how we hold it. See, we're not really responsible for another's response to our conviction, but we are responsible for how we respond to another. If we hold the conviction that Jesus rose from the dead bodily, and that offends another person, we still want to honor that person. We don't want to exacerbate them. We, we, we don't want to unnecessarily challenge and push them into a corner. We, we want to be generous in our spirit. We want to honor that person. And when the church takes up 
that, that cruelty, that downward progression from disagreement to cruelty, when the church takes that up to defend their convictions by, quote-unquote, any means necessary, we, we end up distorting the vision of God in the world. It's why there's like these antagonistic um, atheists who are writing whole books with claims littered with things like this. This is from Richard Dawkins in The God Delusion. He says this about the God of the Old Testament, that he's arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Now, if you stopped there, you would think, oh, that's not too bad. Listen to the rest. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniac, sedomachistic, sedomasochistic, <laughs> capriciously malevolent bully. Like, I don't, those words are hard to say, but when you read them, you get that he does not find the God of the Old Testament to be the God of kindness. Now, do I think Dawkins' assessment of God is true? No, not at all. I think when you read through the Old Testament, there's a witness to the contrary of that. However, what does concern me is that the church in the public sphere has helped shape Dawkins' vision for God. There's no doubt about it. Some, some of the like, most well-touted scandals, and perhaps they're well-touted because they come from the, the church, um, are of these very things coming out of the life of the church. There is some nuggets of truth in this. And they end up reflecting back on God, but they're not true of him. So again, we just have to ask, like, what does it look like to be a community formed by kindness? Frankly, I don't, I don't think anybody in our community is like consciously tempted to cruelty. I, I, however, think that that movement from disagreement to cruelty sometimes is a lot steeper than we'd realize. So maybe the better question to ask is, where is kindness compromised in our culture? And the areas that, that came to mind, this is not an exhaustive list, I think about competition. Now, I, I played sports in college, and uh, competition is called healthy competition. I can tell you, when you're playing ice hockey and somebody is trying to, I don't know, hit you, kindness doesn't really come into the equation. <laughs> and if you listen to the speech on the benches, it's not there either. And I think about the marketplace. Like, it, it has to be difficult to cultivate kindness when another person, person is after your job. It's cutthroat. I, I mean, think about that. Perhaps that's the scenario you find yourself in right now. Or here's another space. Think about the world we live in and the fast-paced nature of it. This area of hurry. I, I mean, this is like true in my own life. <laughs> Even with the rhythms like Sabbath and daily prayer and things like that, intentional things of trying to slow down. There's the moment where you're trying to get out the door and you're running late, which seems to be a theme. And then you say the thing to the people you love the most that you don't want to say. And it's as though the words are coming out of your mouth and you like can't pull them back in fast enough. So let me just ask you, how does kindness go when you feel hard-pressed for time, when you're running late, when it, you feel hectic, when you have to get that thing done? Who 
falls down? Who will you run over to get that done? What happens to kindness in that space for you? So I really just don't think that we give ourselves the margin to provide cushion for conflict. Conflict will and does happen. Like anytime you put two people in a relationship, conflict is going to happen. And that conflict will will reveal some of our character. But if we have cushion, if we have margin, if we have space, like a spaciousness within ourselves to receive that conflict, then kindness does not have to be compromised. But instead, we have no margin. And therefore, we're pushed against a wall. We're backed into a corner. And so we become defensive and we respond from that and we quickly become harsh and we devolve into cruelty. Last, I just thought about the space of tribalism. And unfortunately, this is rampant in evangelicalism. You, You see this with questions like, well, who are you listening to? Or, oh, you read that person? Or, oh, I didn't realize you upheld that doctrinal position. I mean, it's, it's littered all over the place. I am so guilty of it. Like we give undue allegiance to things and people at the expense of others, like our like fellow followers of Jesus. And let me just say this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have more in common with another follower of Jesus than somebody who is in the same political party as you. So if you're like a Democrat, and another person's a Republican, hear this, it doesn't matter if you're both followers of Jesus because you have more in common in Jesus than you do in your politics. Although in our lived experience, it feels quite the contrary. And kindness is compromised. We belittle one another. We, we show contempt for fellow followers of Jesus. And, you know, I, like I submit that once again, like I am guilty of this. And I, He comes out in statements like, I have no idea how you can be a follower of Jesus and just fill in the blank. I don't know how many times that statement proceeded or came out of my mouth this past year. And just as as an aside, if I've done this to you in this season, I don't want that to be our story. I'm like, this seems odd. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want this just to be the moment where you go like, oh, that's nice. He's, he's being apologetic. And like, I, I really want to cultivate a different story in our lives. If I have shown you contempt, if I've made little of you, if I've run over you trying to uphold a position, I am sorry. That is not who I want to be. I want the character of Christ formed in me. And I need you to help me do that. So if you, if you would please reach out to me. I I want there to be reconciliation there. I want us to model this in our community. I don't want this just to be stuff that I write about in a sermon and then forget about, never do. Like, I really want us to do this stuff. So please, if if that's happened between us, please reach out to me. Because if we're to do this together, like, we ought to remember that, um, we're not the ones bringing about the growth. We actually see this as we consider like the metaphor of this whole series that is the fruit of the Spirit. I don't, I don't know how many of you have tried your hand at gardening. Uh, there was a, a summer that I gave a go. <laughs> it didn't really go well. I didn't realize that gardening's hard. Like, you have to weed. And I didn't realize that weeding is hard because when plants are little, they look the same as weeds. So sometimes you're pulling up the, the things that you're supposed to eat. And then there's the watering, and then there's predators in gardens. I had no idea. Predators, bunnies, 
They're everywhere. So there's all this cultivating that you have to do in gardening. And let's say that you do a good job or you have a green thumb, as they say, and you, a harvest comes out of your garden. And it's like a, a, just a, a beautiful heirloom. To, it's just fantastic. Did you produce that? Did, did you make that tomato? See, that's, that's Paul's point here is this agricultural imagery. So we're, we're responsible to cultivate that. And, and then it's God's responsibility to bear that fruit in the cultivated soil of our lives. Because at the end of the day, we are simply responsible for cultivating the soil. God is the one who brings the growth. Unfortunately, this is who God is. He's nothing like Dawkins describes. We actually, we get a, a picture of this from the Old Testament when King Solomon, the one from whom our proverb comes, he, he sets out to bless this temple, the, this beautiful, majestic temple has been built, the place where God's personal presence would dwell and guide the people of Israel. And Solomon says this, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. What's translated steadfast there in the English is the translation of the Hebrew word chesed. It's also the word that can be translated kindness. See, the range of meaning in, in the Hebrew, it's so tightly packed together that it's best said this way, that God's steadfast love is manifest through his kindness. That's kind of wordy, so people just say <laughs> steadfast love. But let me say that again. God's steadfast love is manifest through his kindness. And what makes God's kindness, the, the kind of kindness that he wants to cultivate in the, in the life of the church so beautiful is that it is indiscriminate. It's not as though it like just goes to the church. No, it goes far and wide. In Ephesians 2, we read this, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. When God's kindness manifests itself, and specifically through the church, it, it looks like people being raised up. It looks like people being lavished with grace. Have you lavished anyone recently? Like, I think, or have you been lavished? I can't, I don't know the last time I've been, I've been lavished. Um, but right now, uh, our, our toddler loves to sing. And just the other day, I was in the basement and we, we live in an old house, like over a hundred years old. So the floors are like this then. And I could hear him eating a snack and I could hear him singing. And you have no idea. I mean, it really is unintelligible of what he's singing, but every once in a while, he'll say a thing and he's doing this thing, it just like melts my heart. He says, worship God, worship God. And then we sing a number of songs. And um, so he's got like his playlist. And I'm just like, oh, like in that moment, although I wasn't there and he wasn't doing, it was like I was being serenaded. It just, it's like the closest thing in my imagination that I can think of, of being lavished with grace. It was so sweet. That's what happens when God's kindness manifests through, a like, through his church. There's no space for cruelty in that. And I just, I say this again, like if this feels inaccessible, 
If you, if you feel like your life right now is so far from kindness, you know you are an angry person. You, you have no patience, you have no withholding, you have no kindness in you. If this feels inaccessible, take heart. Because this isn't about you producing kindness. It's just about cultivating the soil. It's just about showing up. It's just about making space, having that, that margin sufficient to receive and respond. And then the spirit of the living God will do the rest. That's God's job. That's not your job. It's not my job. God is the one who brings the growth. I guess the, the question then lingers is like, well, okay, um, how, how do I know? Because <laughs> this isn't like a squishy or a fuzzy kind of kindness. This isn't a hallmark kind of kindness. There's a, there's a deep and enduring reality to this kindness, to the kindness of God. I mean, it's, it's the type of kindness that is, is lavishing. So, so how do we know this is taking place? Well, here are a few markers. Just, just to start, like, you may recognize that God's kindness is bearing out in you when you're no longer demonizing the people you were before, that you're, that you're humanizing them. And here's just a, like, here's a way to cultivate the soil in that area. And I, I, I learned this from a close friend, um, and this is super simple. It's just the ABCs of kindness. And this is the ABCs of communication, but I thought it worked so well for kindness, so I switched it up. A is just assume the best of others. That's hard. <laughs> That's super hard to assume the best of others, especially if you have some relational equity with them or you know them, and especially if they can, I don't know, be a jerk. To assume the best of a jerk, ah, uh, that takes the spirit of the living God. So what do you do next? Well, B, um, give them the benefit of the doubt. What do you have to lose? Maybe something, but kindness will not be compromised in that moment. See, consider their story. We don't know what people are going through. Like, we don't know what's happened. I mean, there's so much challenge in 2020 spilling over into 2021. We just don't know what's on someone's plate. Just consider their story. Make space to receive them. I love this, this quote from David Augsburger. It just, I think it captures this idea, the, the ABCs of kindness. He says this, being heard, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. I think one of the simplest ways that we can like cultivate space for God to bring about kindness in our lives is just to listen well just to honor people in our lives by receiving what they say. You know, you know how you can do that? Look at them. Put down your phone <laughs> and just be present to them. Present to a person who bears the image of God. Present to a person who's been a jerk to you in the past, but in that moment, because the lavishing of God's grace, God has lavished you with his grace. He's, he, what has he done? He's expressed his kindness to you because you've received kindness. You can extend kindness as well. This kind of kindness, it has the power to transform a community. I believe it has the power to dismantle, absolutely dismantle cruelty. And we're not alone in it. We're not alone in this. Jesus is present to us in the power of the Spirit. And the beauty is this takes time. 
And we have that. We have this moment to show up to one another with the kindness of God being cultivated in our lives and in our community. I would love if this year was a year where we said of one another and the city said of the Gateway Church, they're really kind. <laughs> Not in a, like a saw, like just how beautiful would that be? That we would know that, that, that we were cultivating that, that we were being animated by the spirit of the living God. How beautiful that would be, that, that, that the character of God was being formed in us. So to that end, let us pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternal community of love, we ask that you, through the power of your Spirit, would bring about kindness in this space. Give us the courage, the courage to make space for others, and the courage to make space for you. The willingness to, to say no in some areas so we can say yes to you. And I would just pray, Lord, that um, in this area for our community, as, as, as we sense the tension of kindness, like not wanting to be kind towards someone, would we remember the kindness, the exaltation of our lives that we have in you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.